All right, you guys, grab your Bibles. Let's open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hey, if you don't have your Bible, would you just kind of raise your hand because we have Bibles along the aisle. People on the aisle, if you wouldn't mind just passing those down to anybody that waves at you. Um, they're being friendly. That's awesome. Go ahead and hand them a Bible too. And um, I want to get the Word of God in everybody's hands. That's the authority this morning, not me. And so um, we want to make sure that we're actually opening up the text and taking a look at it. We're going to page 994 in our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're looking at verses 17 through 19. Starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We have a lot of visitors with us this morning, um, which is awesome. Uh, you hold a big event, you have it in a special venue, and, and people come, and, that, and that's great. If you want to know what Trailhead Church is about, I'm going to point you first and primarily to our mission statement. And that's what we've been looking at for the last three weeks, this, this simple statement that is loaded with meaning, um, that we are walking in Christ as a community on mission. That is the heart of who we are. That is the heart of what we're about. That's our mission. Because it highlights the three relationships in which we want to grow. We want to walk in Christ, our relationship with God. We want to to walk in community, our relationship with one another. We want to walk on mission, our relationship with the world. Now, over the last two weeks, we've taken a look at those first two key relationships. We looked at what it meant to be walking in Christ. And last week, we we looked at what it meant to be walking as community. If you missed those sermons and and you want to catch up on them, I want to let you know that they are available for streaming on our website. You can also go to iTunes. We have them podcasted there. But you can definitely catch those if if that interests you. This week, we're going to be taking a look at what it means to be on mission. Now, as we read this text, (laughs) you might think I picked a weird text. To, uh, to talk about mission, right? Um, this text seems to be all about money, and it is directed to rich people, right? It starts out, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. And some of you are like, sweet, I'm off the hook for this one. Because I am not the rich of this present age, right? This passage, for the first time maybe ever, is not talking to me. Um, all right. You guys, this passage is talking to you. Um, You're not off the hook. I'm not going to let you off the hook. You're like, what are you talking about, Steve? I'm not not rich. I'm living in debt, man. You should see my credit card payments. I mean, that's how I get by month to month. I'm I'm to the point where I'm mooching off my friends and my family, right? I got this low-paying job I hate, but I'm trapped. I mean, my car is so old, I went to the carport store and asked if I could get a gas cap for my car. The guy looked out the window and said, sure, that sounds like a fair trade. All right, think about it. Um, I got that from Click and Clack, NPR. They're awesome. I'm not, but I stole it. All right, so here's the thing. Um, 
You guys, according to Branko Milanovic, who is kind of a sensation right now, he's written some big books, um, he is recognized as an authority on incomes, inequalities with incomes. He says this, you guys, the bottom 5% of Americans, the bottom, like the poorest of the poor, mostly not the people in this room, but the poorest of the poor, bottom 5% of Americans are still richer than 68% of the rest of the world. So if you take the bottom 5% of Americans and you compare them to the rest of the world, they're still going to be in the top third of incomes. If you've done any traveling outside of the United States into non-Western countries, you know what this is talking about. You've seen it. People that are living on a couple dollars a day. So why do we, as Americans, feel so poor? Because that's kind of universal, honestly. I've never met anybody yet where I'm like, dude, how are you doing? They're like, I am rich. I am so fat on the hog, right? I got money more than I know what to do with. I don't hear that. You know what I hear? Yeah, things are tight. Things are tight. And it doesn't matter, right? Because what ends up happening is we get more income, and all of a sudden we start paying for things we couldn't pay for before, right? Our standard of living goes up. And we get more income and our standard of living goes up. And, and, and pretty soon we're like, I don't even know how I did without that before, right? And so you ask anybody, nobody's going to be like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm rich. I really haven't met anybody there. Why do we feel so poor when we are among the richest people in the world? And you guys, I'm not just talking about money. I mean, we feel poor in a lot of ways. If you ask somebody, how are you doing? You know what they will almost always say? What do they say? Fine and busy, right? How you doing? Oh, all right, man, busy, busy, right? Super busy, crazy busy, right? Why are we so busy? You know what you're saying when you're saying that? What you say is, I'm doing all right, but I'm feeling poor in time. I'm feeling a poverty with my, with my time, man. I'm feeling tapped out. I feel like my bank account on time is being overdrawn. Right? We, we feel poor in, in time. We feel poor in friendships. And if most of us are honest, we feel poor in joy. We're going through our day. We're fighting for what we can get. There are moments of joy, moments of happiness, and, and honestly, a lot of hard stuff. And some of you have honestly resigned yourselves to quiet lives of desperation. Where your greatest joy is honestly just making it through the day. Why are we so poor? I believe it's because we approach life in the wrong way. Here's the thing, you guys. We're either going to approach life in greed or in grace. Either in greed or in grace. See, greed operates according to an economy of scarcity. There's just not enough to go around and I've got to fight for what I can get. I only have so much, so I need to protect what I have. And I need to fight to get more. So I become self-protecting. I protect my resources. I protect my time. I, I protect my, my relational margin. I become self-protective and self-focused. See, grace, you guys, grace is all about love. It's about giving what isn't deserved to get what you can't earn. And grace operates in an economy of generosity. 
I give because God gives. And because he gives, I give. And, and as I give in grace, I grow in grace. You guys, this is what it means to be on mission. When we talk about being a church in Christ, as community, on mission, this is what we're talking about. If we, as a church, are going to be on mission, we need to grow rich in grace. And you can only grow rich in grace by giving it away. So let's take a look at our text, okay? Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, that's us, <laughs> charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You guys, the real tension in this verse is who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? To meet your needs, to provide for you. Who are you going to trust? Am I going to trust myself or am I going to trust God? See, the passage is a warning. What he's saying is is if you trust yourself, you're actually haughty and and foolish. Now, why haughty? What does that word even mean? Um, Haughty means arrogant, somebody who has airs about them, somebody whose nose is in the air, right? God's looking at somebody, trusting themselves, and, and what he sees is pride. Here's the thing. You know why? It's because nothing gives the illusion of being God like having a lot of money. Right? When we have a lot of money, man, it makes us really feel like, like, like we can be God. It's about as close as we can get to being God, right? God can speak things into existence. You, you tried that lately? Have you? I know you have, right? It doesn't work, right? But if I have money, I can say a word and I have a steak. Hot, steaming, perfectly seasoned, the perfect cut. Every meal, I could have a steak, Right? If you have money, if I have money, I can pull out my magic wand called a pen, right? And I can wave it magically over a piece of paper and put signatures on it and suddenly be driving a new car. (laughs) Instead of my old jalopy, I, I can have a house. I can get a vacation. I can get an escape, right? It gives us the illusion that we are secure. It gives us the illusion that we are powerful. It gives us the illusion that were really important. When you have money, people treat you differently. And you start feeling like you're really special, right? That you're unique, that, that you're powerful, that you're popular. And you, you start getting this weird fisheye lens on reality. Have you ever seen this happen to the people who suddenly became rich and famous? How distorted often their view of life becomes? It's because they're growing haughty. They, they feel like they're like God. And the problem is that's really foolish. It's really foolish. Why? Because they're putting their hope in uncertain riches. They're basically putting their basis for importance or strength or security on something that is, that is really uncertain. Jesus said it's a lot like building your house on the sand, right? You build this incredible structure, this beautiful home. It's your dream. It's what you've always wanted to live in. But the foundation isn't secure. It's shifting. It's not trustworthy. And it can collapse at any moment. And in fact, probably will. And we've seen this economically uh, in our own country, right? It happened in the, in the 90s and 2000s. I saw people lose their entire life savings like that 
right? They, they've been working diligently their entire lives. They had 401ks. They had retirement plans. They had stocks. Nothing. Those are the folks that couldn't retire. Those are the folks that are working second jobs. That's reality. It's uncertain. Riches are never guaranteed. But it gets worse. Because some people actually get everything they want. And they find out it doesn't give them what they truly need. They get everything they want and they find out that it was actually a false promise. You guys, the gospel gives us a different choice for founding our lives, for building our lives. We can trust God. The text says we can trust God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy instead of trusting ourselves. Because God gives grace. Now think about it, grace. Grace is one of these words we use a lot. Um, I often define it as, as undeserved favor, which it is, right? It's God giving us his favor, which we didn't earn, we didn't merit it. It was a free gift, right? Another definition that I've heard that I like is simply making an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. I mean, the reality is, you guys, in our sin, we owed God a debt. We couldn't pay a debt of justice, right? We were guilty and unable to wash away our guilt, unable to atone for our wrongs. If we were to put on the scales, we would be found wanting. There's there's no amount of good works we could do to offset the bad because ultimately God's measure is perfection. So we couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't solve our own problem. And what does God do? He solves it for us. Jesus comes on mission to redeem and restore. And that's what he did. He lived the life we should have lived. He lived the perfect life. He lived a human life without fault, without sin, without error. He lived the life every single one of us should have lived. And then he died the death that every single one of us deserved to die. As our substitute in our place, he became our sacrifice. So he was a perfect high priest offering a perfect sacrifice himself. He took our place and so satisfied our debt that he rose from the dead. The resurrection is proof that God was satisfied with the payment because death was the result of sin. And when he came back to life, it proved that that God was satisfied that justice had been paid. And because justice had been paid, we can be forgiven. And in that forgiveness, we can be made new. In order to restore, God had to redeem. And he paid our redemption price. And he gives it to us freely. He invites us into his resurrection. He he takes our sin and then he covers us with his righteousness. And as believers in Jesus, we are now as right as Jesus is right. And we have the same future that the resurrected Jesus has because he's shared his glory with us. In other words, we have a future in his kingdom. We have a future in his blessing. We have a future in his inheritance. You guys, that kind of way of approaching life, that economy is not limited by scarcity. It is unlimited in grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. How do you find the end of the grace of God? You can't. He came to give grace. He came to give love and joy and power and purpose. And to keep giving it. And to keep giving it. 
Romans 5 tells us that if God gave us his son, if God gave us Jesus, which was his best, how will he not with him give us all things? You know what I'm saying? Like when God's already given us his best, you think he's going to squabble about something that's the least? Right? When he gave us Jesus, he gave us everything with Jesus. Which means that we now, as believers in Christ, stand in grace. We have a free, unobstructed approach into the throne room of God. And we are not there measured to find out if we're worthy to enter because we're covered with Christ who is worthy. And we enter freely to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. It is an unending economy of generosity. God gives and he gives and he gives. In fact, almost every time you read about God's love in Scripture, it's connected with him giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. (laughs) You know, God's love is manifest in the outflowing of his generosity. It's grace. God gave us his best. He's not going to get stingy with us now because God's economy isn't limited. It's a free-flowing gift of generosity. So you see, our choice is this. We're either going to put our hope in uncertain riches or we're going to put our hope in God's certain promises. We'll either put our faith in ourselves and our ability or we'll put our faith in God and His ability. Now, for some of you, you're like, Steve, I'm trying, man. That's not as easy as it sounds, right? I'm a believer in Jesus. I, I'm, I'm a follower, and, and, and I, I struggle. I struggle. And I get it, because I do too, honestly. It, it is hard. When, it, when a trouble comes up, man, my first impulse is, if it's going to be, it's up to me. If it's a problem to be solved, I'm the one who has to solve it. I take tremendous ownership. For those things. And, and, and honestly, that, that's part responsibility. That's partly the way I'm wired. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we're really talking about is in the end, is my faith in my ability or in God's? And here's the thing. I have to keep calling my heart to trust in God. So how do I do that? How do I grow in this economy of generosity? How do I grow in grace so that I'm not being driven by greed, you know, in this economy of scarcity? Verse 18. Verse 18 tells us they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. All right, he says the same thing three times. Did you catch it? What's he saying? What's he saying? What are we supposed to do? Give. Give. Isn't that the heart of it, right? They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and ready to share. You want to grow in your faith in a generous God? Grow in giving grace. You want to grow in grace? Grow in giving grace. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Here's the thing, you guys. We have a choice to operate in one of two economies. And by default, we operate in an economy of greed. By default. That's how the world shapes us. 
That's honestly what's reinforced almost a, a daily basis as we, as we move through the world, right? And, and an economy of, of, of greed looks like this. It begins with scarcity. It's an economy of scarcity. There's only limited resources. There's only so much to go around. And so that makes us fearful or anxious. I'm anxious that I might lose what I have monetarily. I've only got so much. In fact, I'm spending more than I have. So I can't be generous. I can't give. It makes me anxious, right? I only have so much relational capacity. And right now, you're in the deficit. You're drawing more than you're giving, man. You're taking more of my attention. You're taking more of my energy. And so I become anxious. I'm like, how do I get this guy out of here? Right? How do I have to stop dealing with this person? Right? You know where this stuff shows up a lot? When you're driving. Seriously. You're driving along and somebody pulls in front of you. And you're like, that's my space. It's a limited economy around here, man. That was 10 feet. That was my right. So I'm justified in riding your bumper, buddy. Right? I'm going to make a dirty face at you, right? It's the economy of scarcity. Anytime anyone takes anything from us, time, energy, finances, respect, affection, we get really ticked. You know why? That's fear. It's anxiety. I can't afford for you to take because I don't have enough to go around, right? So it triggers fear. And what that does is it triggers this instinct of greed, which is hoard, right? Basically, what it's saying is I'm going to protect what I have, and I'm going to get more. You guys ever seen how this plays out in a marriage? Anybody ever been there? Just me? Am I the only one honest here? Right? Too holy, we're at church, we can't talk. Yeah, you guys, in marriage, how does this work out? Right? In marriage, if, if, if you're operating according to an economy of greed, what ends up happening is, is, is your, your spouse slights you. They ignore you. They don't say the right thing to you. Um, maybe you serve them in some way and they don't acknowledge or say thank you to you. What do you do? You get anxious, fearful. And you start lashing out. You start protecting. You start building walls. You start basically saying, I'm not going to serve you anymore. You're going to serve me. I've put it enough. It's, you know, look in a mirror, man. So you looking, right? Look in a mirror. It's your fault. And we start focusing on everything that's wrong with them and protecting everything that's right with us. It's an economy of scarcity. So we start self-protecting, building walls, trying to take whatever we can get out of it. Why? Because when there's limited resources, man, you got to fight for what you can get. Right? I need affection. I need support. I need encouragement. So we start fighting to keep and to protect. The result, you guys, you know how this works out in your marriage, is, is that true love and true affection become even more scarce. As you both start fighting for the limited resource of affection and love, you're giving less and receiving less. See, what ends up happening is when you're working according to the economy of greed, whether it's financially, relationally, or with time, Your world gets smaller. Your resources get depleted. The gospel calls us to a totally different economy, you guys. It's an economy of grace. 
And in the economy of grace, um, we begin with God giving to us, right? We begin with God's grace. Grace doesn't reside in us. God resi- grace resides in God. And so we begin by receiving what God has given us in Christ, right? Think about it, you guys. We have been given what we don't deserve, right? I mean, think about it, you guys. Jesus, right? Kind of like the greatest gift ever, right? God, God has solved our greatest problem. Like, like you're thinking, I got an overdue credit card. Really? You were like in debt to God. Yeah, but you know, I'm having a really hard time with... You had a hard time with God. <laughs> you know, you were like, you had the worst enemy in the universe, right? When God's ticked at you, you were in bad shape. You were in debt to a holy, sovereign, omnipotent God. A debt you couldn't pay. And Jesus paid it for you. He solved your greatest problem and he gave you a greater future than you could ever earn or hope for on your own. In Christ, you will receive all of the blessings of his inheritance. You know, as you sit in that long enough, is that really weighs on you? It's, something's going to happen. There's something in your heart that's going to be born. And it's a thing called gratitude. Jesus said, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. Our measure of gratitude is dependent on how we measure the price Jesus paid for our sin. If we don't see our sin very clearly, if we don't see our guilt, if we don't esteem his sacrifice properly, it'll have very little effect on our hearts. But as we sit in it, as we see our brokenness, as we see our sin, as as we actually allow our hearts to humble, as we humble ourselves to see just how broken we were and how great the price was that he paid and how glorious he is, we're moved to gratitude. Gratitude awakens in our heart as we are overwhelmed with the sense of blessing. I mean, think about it in an earthly sense, you guys. You ever had anybody pay a bill for you that was unexpected? Somebody give a gift to you at the perfect time. You were like all stressed out because you weren't sure how you were going to get there. And then that gift comes unexpectedly. What does that do to your heart? I know what it does to mine. I'm like, bam. I was like totally under a cloud and now I'm walking in the sunshine, right? I was totally moping. Now I'm dancing. Like, like I'm singing and humming. Why? Because there is a heart reaction to generosity. And it's accompanying with joy. It's a powerful, joyful feeling. It is freeing and powerful. And what ends up happening is as as we grow in gratitude, it leads us to generosity. Because when your heart is filled with gratitude, it frees your fist to release. See, this is the posture of scarcity and greed. I got to keep what is mine. You can't have it. This is the posture of a heart that is freed by grace to experience gratitude that is then moved to generosity. We give. And you know what happens as you become generous? As you then move out, moved by gratitude, and now you're generous, you start moving out in that. You know what happens? You experience more grace. You experience more grace. 
Your heart gets opened up. Here's the thing, you guys. You have, as believers in Jesus, you have all the blessings of God in Christ. But you are not experiencing all the blessings you have in Christ. Because you have a limited capacity to experience joy. As you move out in generosity, moved by gratitude because of the grace of God, you expand the borders of your ability to experience joy. The grace of receiving, the grace of giving, your heart will be expanded. Now, I'm going to tell you guys, this isn't easy. You already know this, but I I want to explain it to you. This is not easy. It's often kind of painful, and I'll tell you why. Because there's a limit, a natural limit to your generosity, right? I mean, we're generous people, by and large. We really are. Um, But there's a limit to our generosity. Think about it. This is where you start. We like to give. We like to give as long as the payback is equal to the sacrifice. You know what I'm saying? So like, like if you're on the freeway and somebody needs to merge in and they wave at you and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll be gracious to you. You're cool. Right? So you back off, you let them merge in. That sacrifice was paid off by the blessing of the fact they were slightly uh, grateful. Right? But what happens when somebody comes in and they're honking and they're looking at you mean and you're like, I'm accelerating. There's no longer an open space here for you. You go behind me, right? Why? Why? Because, because the sacrifice now exceeds the blessing. And this is true, you guys. Look at your life. Now, here's the thing. We all have different levels, right? Here's my level. Like, this is me, and here's my level. <laughs> That's my level, right? And, and, and anytime I go above that, it hurts, right? Because I'm not a very generous person. Here's my wife, right? She is a much more naturally generous person than I am. But I'm going to tell you something. What God's going to do, God's going to make you go beyond that line. It doesn't matter where that line is for you. God will push you past it. And that's when it really starts feeling like a sacrifice. That's when it really starts hurting. Because what you're giving is more than what you're getting. The output is greater than the input. And it's true, you guys, with our money. I mean, think about it. First time you gave, it felt like a sacrifice, right? First time I ever gave someone a gift for my own money, I was like, are you serious? My parents are going to buy this? Like, All right, I'll do it, right? Sacrifice. And then you start giving regularly, and it hurts, right? The average American gives 2.5% of their income, and they think that's sacrificial. And it hurts because they're, they're really right at their 2.5%, man. They're right at their limit of what they can tolerate. So you push yourself to five, and it hurts. But pretty soon, so as you grow and as you give, it expands. It hurts when you cross that line with your money. It hurts with your time. As, as you give your time to, to people or to things, it hurts with relationships. As you move into relationship with, with hurt and needy people, which, by the way, means just people, because there are no such thing as non-hurt and needy people. They just hurt and need in different ways. And so as you move into a relationship with hurt and needy people, and they, they start demanding and asking more, it hurts. Believers, trailhead, followers of Christ, we need to get comfortable crossing that line. We need to expect it. Because when you cross that line, you guys, listen to me. When you cross that line, you're entering the growth zone. 
There's no growth below it. That's your comfortability zone. But God pushes you up here. That, that's your growth zone. Now, if you're pushed over that line, and you just complain and whine and, and resent it and blah, 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 blah. You're going to go through all that suffering with none of the benefit. Really, because that line won't move. You'll be up here. God's going to be like, I'm waiting. Right? Why don't you give thanks? Have some gratitude. No, no, I'm going to whine and complain. Your line won't move. And eventually it'll pass and you'll drop back down and God's going to be like, I tried. I tried to move the line, man. Because you're too busy fighting to get back to the economy of greed, which is where your comfortability zone is. See, when it hurts, that's when we need to fight to get back to grace and gratitude. When someone asks more of you than you're comfortable giving, I'm going to give you some advice. Don't do it for them. Do it for Jesus. When you're pushed outside of your comfort zone, stop doing it for others and start doing it for God. You know why? Because you already feel grateful to God. You owe him a debt you can't pay, a debt of grace. And if you renew your gratitude toward God, it will move you to generosity to God, even with people that it's really hard to love. Don't do it for them, do it for God. When it hurts and you're tempted to complain, repent. Instead, give thanks. Right? Give thanks. Like, think about the point where you're tempted to grumble and instead give thanks in that point. God, thank you that I have the ability of meeting this person in their need and I'm not the person desperately in need of someone meeting me. God, thank you that you've equipped me in grace to experience your love and share it with others. God, thank you that even in this suffering, what you're doing is you're not expanding my, my zone of suffering. You're expanding my zone of grace. Because as we do that properly, as that line gets moved, what I want you to see, we see it as the line of suffering. God sees it as the line of joy. Because as that line gets moved, my capacity to experience joy is increased. And I experience more of what I have in Christ. The higher that line goes, the more you expand your capacity for joy and love and grace. Why? Because your grace's power is unleashed in our lives when we give grace away. So what's the result? Verse 19. Verse 19. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Look at that phrase right there, you guys. I mean, when I read that, that just jumped out at me. That they may take hold of that which is truly life. Some people win in the economy of greed. They get more than everybody else. They get more treasure that they're chasing, money, time, relational freedom. In the competition of life, we see them as winning. But you guys, I'm going to tell you the truth. Most of them are winning the wrong game. Jesus put it this way, there's a way to gain the whole world and lose your soul. You guys, look at the richest, most famous people in our society. Are they the happiest? Paragons of well-balance, healthy relationships. No. I mean, I don't even have to, you know, right? True life 
all the stuff you can have, success, trophies, comforts, man, you can still miss true life because true life doesn't come from the size of your bank account. It doesn't come from where you live. It doesn't come from how comfortable you are. It doesn't come from how much you can afford. It doesn't come from, from, from having comfortable relationships, how comfortable you can make your life. True life comes from how much joy you experience. Do you understand that? True life comes from how much joy you experience, how much love you give and receive. See, greed may expand your pocketbook, but it will shrink your heart. It may give you more free time, but it will give you less joy in the time that you have. See, grace will expand your heart. As you give grace, you grow in grace. You guys, if we're going to be a church that is walking on mission, we need to be made up of people who are growing in grace. Because as we're growing in grace, God will free us to love. And as we are freed to love, our joy increases and people will actually see the gospel in action. I dream that Trailhead Church will be known as a generous church. I want us to be a church that's not just in this city, but for this city. A lot of churches and really the history of the church in, in the Western culture for a lot has, has come to be seen, honestly, as, as takers. The church just takes resources. It's really just about its own agenda, seeking to ultimately work for its own blessing. You guys... I want Trailhead Church to not just be consumers in our city, takers of resources. I want to be a, a people who, who seek to bless and to give. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to a group of Alka Indians, he ended up giving his life um, in the process of trying to share the gospel with them, said this. He said, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We need to be people who are willing to live by the economy of the kingdom, the economy of grace, so that we can become as radically generous as we have been radically blessed. People who are deeply grateful and deeply loving. We try to model that as a church, you guys. Um, we have from the beginning tried to wire that in. The church leadership, we hold ourselves accountable to this as a church. You know, the last four years, Trailhead Church has given away over $100,000. Given it away to people in need or to, um, to plant new churches or to, to bless the city. Why? Because we want to bless. Um. I want to highlight one thing, and this is really more of a yay God moment than a yay trailhead. It's a little bit of danger when we're like, oh, look at us. We're so great. That's really not what it's about. I really feel like God has blessed us in incredible ways. We've done things in our four years um, that are really remarkable. Um, for example, Heights Church. We got any Heights Church people in here? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Love you guys. Um, about nine months ago, we sent them out to start a new church in Collinsville. We, we launched our first daughter church. Corey and Andrea 
Johnson, Corey came to me a couple years ago, man, we were only about a year and a half in as a church. We were in our infant state. And he, he's like, dude, I think God's calling me to, to plant a church. I'm not sure. Can I hang out with you for a while? Can I just be here and learn? I'm like, yeah. He goes, if I'm not supposed to plant a church, I really don't want to. I really don't want to. But if, if God is calling me to this, this is what I want to do. And, and over those two years, man, I worked closely with Corey. I fell in love with his family and his heart. It would have been really easy. I'm going to tell you something. It would have been really easy two years in to say, Corey, you know what, man? I really love you. I love working with you. I enjoy being with you. I tell you what, let's skip this whole church planning thing. You know? Just stay, man. Come on, man. I'll tell you what. You can lead our new midrash ministry. You can lead the men's ministry. You can, what do you want to do, man? Let's work together. Hmm. But that's not what God called us to do. See, God often calls us to give away our best. Seriously, guys, God often calls us to give away our best, not our least. If the only thing you ever give away is stuff you're going to throw away, you are not a generous person. The generosity of grace leads us to give away our best in love, right? So we did. God called them, and so we sent them out. And it was kind of crazy. We were three years old. I had people telling me, you're nuts. Your church is too young. Your numbers are too small. This is going to be catastrophic. This is going to impact your budget. It's going to impact your numbers. You guys need to wait till you're older. But it's not what God was telling us to do. So we, we sent them out. And we launched our first daughter church. Hmm. People are like, won't they take your people? Won't they take your money? Won't you be competing for limited resources? That's the economy of scarcity, not the economy of generosity. I'm going to tell you what, God has replaced what we gave. We are larger now than when we sent them out. Our giving is higher. Um, Nine months, it's not that long ago. But even better than that, you guys, there's a local church in Collinsville. The gospel's being preached. There's a group of people who love Jesus and are moving out in the power of the gospel to bless that community. People are being baptized. People who are hurt are being met with the gospel. The blessing of grace is being manifold, uh, uh, expressed. I don't know if that's even a phrase. <laughs> Sometimes English major, my words get my own way. It's getting bigger, you know? It's getting bigger. It's like the ripples, you know? It's like God's doing cool things. And we get to share in that blessing. They're a partner with us in ministry now. Like Corey and I are working together to plant new churches. Praise God. You guys, listen. God does incredible things through generosity. But we have to grow strong in faith. Which means we need to be willing to endure temporary discomfort as our own hearts get fearful and anxious and fight for generosity and gratitude instead of fearful greed. That's my call to us. That's my call. Let us be a people who are growing in grace, pushing into gratitude, and learning to be more and more generous. You guys, I'm going to put some reflection questions up behind me. And if you can't read them because of the weird screen or your weird seat, um, I'm going to read them out loud, so don't worry. But I'm going to read these out loud just to prompt some, some space for you to do some business with God, to listen to God. And we're going to create a little bit of silence here at the end of the service where you get to pray. And I'm just going to ask that the Spirit of God comes in and, and, and leads us as a people to hear Him, 
So here's some questions for you to consider. First of all, where are you letting anxiety rob you of gratitude? I, I, there's some place in your life right now that God has pushed you beyond the line of your comfort, beyond that place where what you're giving is paid back by what you're getting. There's a place right now, and that's the place you're tempted to grumble. Where are you letting your anxiety, your fear, keep you from giving thanks? Because that's the point, not just of your suffering, <laughs> that's the point of your growth. What is it for you? What is it for you? Where does God want you to grow in your gratitude and generosity instead of whining? Instead of trying to pull back and protect, where does he want you to push forward and give? Secondly, where is God prompting you to grow in giving? Time, talent, treasure. Where is God prompting you to grow in your giving? To, to, to actually intentionally say, I'm going to push myself out. I've been self-protective in this area. I've been operating according to an economy of greed. I'm not going to wait till God kicks the door in and pushes me out. <laughs> I'm going to start by faith pushing myself that direction. So you're like, Steve, man, I don't even have any money, man. How am I supposed to give? I'm, I'm in debt. I'm a college student. I'm a, you know what? You have something to give. I guarantee it. You know, the widow, the story of the widow's might, the widow gave a mite, which was the smallest amount of money. And, and everybody else was given all this money. And Jesus said she gave the most. And she was most blessed. It's not the amount we give, it's the heart behind the gift. Let's push ourselves out of our comfort zone, right? With your relational capacity, who is God asking you to invest in, to spend time with, to be more gracious with when you're with them? These are people, by the way, who don't deserve it. They don't deserve your kindness. They don't deserve your respect. They don't deserve your love. But that's the point of grace. Where is God calling you? to give what is undeserved so you can grow in what you don't deserve, grace. And where are you tempted to pull back in self-protection instead of push forward in grace? Where is that point for you where you're like, man, that's scary. Writing that check is scary. Giving away that thing is scary. Spending time with that person is scary. Investing my life in, in that is scary. Where are you tempted to pull back in self-protection instead of push forward in grace? Because here's the thing, when the Spirit of God is prompting you to move forward, you need to realize He is always moving you toward blessing. Let me pray for us. We'll go into a time of response. We'll share communion in a moment, but let's create some space first of all for God to do His thing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You are a God of grace, that You give us what we do not deserve that you bless us in ways we don't understand. You have paid a price we cannot rightly esteem. Father, I pray first of all that you will expand our hearts in gratitude towards you. Those of us who have grown cold, that, that just accept this stuff with, without necessarily letting it move our hearts or break us in beautiful ways, I pray that you would just sit on us. Just sit on us. Break our hearts anew. Reawaken that deep sense of gratitude. That we might have a level of sanity where we can see your glory and our brokenness and just be thankful for your love. I pray that you would move our church to generosity, that we'd be a people known for loving and giving and serving 
Not for our credit, not so our name gets big, but, but so that your name is lifted up and our joy is increased. I pray, Lord, that we would be the kind of people that others look at and are jealous of, not because of who we are, but because of who you are in us, that they'd be attracted to you when they see us. Spirit, you're the only one that can do that. God, you're the only one that can work that change in us. And so, Father, this church is yours. And I ask you to do this. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.